The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. The federal government has been in the student loan business for decades. Millions of students have run up tens of thousands of dollars in debt, which have made it difficult for them to borrow to buy houses or otherwise start their adult lives. A number of voices in the policy world have been advocating for Uncle Sam to forgive some or all of this debt. After President Biden took office in 2021, many political observers have thought that debt cancellation could have some uh, chance of occurring. What questions does the cancellation of student debt raise? Would this be sound public policy? Would this do anything to control the cost of higher education? Joining me on eConversations today is one of the leading economic voices on higher education, Dr. Andrew Gillen. Dr. Gillen is a senior policy analyst with the Texas Public Policy Foundation who is uh, specialized in studying higher education. He recently authored a study for TT, TPPF uh, called The Problems with Student Loan Forgiveness. Dr. Gillen graduated from Ohio University and earned his PhD in economics from Florida State. He's worked for the Center for College Affordability and Productivity with Dr. Richard Vetter, and with the uh, American Institutes for Research, and the American Council of Trustees and Alumni. Welcome to eConversations, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let, let's get started here. And uh, your paper actually talks about 18 different uh, problems with student loan forgiveness. So we're, we're not going to go through them one after another. But I do want to, uh, I think before we get started here, mention that what we're talking about today is forgiving student loans. There is also the whole issue we have a student loan uh, program and the arguments for having a, a, the government in the student loan business are different from what we're going to be focusing on today, and that's what's the cancellation or, or possible forgiveness of some of this debt. So before we get started, if you just say, you know, do you think that there's a, a role for the government on, in, in the, the loan market to begin with uh, before we get into talk about forgiving some of this debt? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there, there's a good argument for student loans to exist in some form, right? Because a lot of the a lot of your you know typical high school graduates coming out of out of uh, high school you know they they don't have a lot of income they don't have a lot of assets um so they they just don't have the ability to pay for expensive things like college um so there's there's a very big argument for student loans in some form to exist so then the question is okay should the government be providing them um and historically in the u.s uh we've, we've said yes i actually think that's a mistake um, mm -hmm. we, we have a well-developed financial system now. The, the financial system would be uh, more than capable of providing student loans uh, and as, as kind of private, uh, um, uh, and to private financial institutions could, could easily take over, over student loans. Um, and, and the main reason that I think government involvement is a mistake is one of the things that we're talking about today, which is it, it can be used as a political football uh, where, hey, you know, we've now got a president who's at least considered for giving, you know, $1.6 trillion in debt. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is basically just pure politics from, from what I can tell. Uh, the other problem is that the, the government doesn't do a very good job pricing these things. 
Um, and so there's a big debate over whether the government makes money or loses money on, on student loans. And that has changed a little bit over time. Uh, and and they, one, of, one of the big issues there is that they basically use uniform pricing. So if you take a stellar student in a high demand field, so something like nursing, like you're a straight A student in nursing, there's no reason they should have the exact same interest rate and loan terms as like your slacker student who's majoring in, you know, some unemployable field and and is probably not even going to graduate. Mm-hmm. Like those those two students should should be facing very very different uh, pricing incentives uh, and and structures and and the government just offers uniform terms, uh, which I think is a real disservice because prices are a very important uh, a signal and incentive. Uh, and so when you when you just do something like uniform pricing, you you really lose a lot of the informational value that's contained within prices. Okay, so but then today what we're going to be focusing on is the more narrow question. As you said, we've got about 1.6 trillion dollars in, in student loan debt. Uh, people have taken out loans under this program, which does exist. Whether you, you, you know, maybe it should be tweaked or in somewhat <laughs> different form, it does exist. People have taken out these loans, and now we've got arguments being put forward that maybe these loans uh, should be forgiven and you know some of it could just be pure politics uh, it, it, it might get, get some votes but beyond that uh, what are some of the arguments because uh, you talk about some of these arguments in the paper what are the sort of categories of arguments that that people put forward as to why uh, canceling or forgiving some of the loans could be good policy yeah so the the most plausible arguments that I've seen, uh, and, and, and in writing this paper, I tried to read as, as widely as I could to, to, to make sure that I uncovered all these arguments. But, mm-hmm. but I basically found four buckets of, of kind of plausible arguments in favor of student loan forgiveness. Uh, so one was just kind of moral uh, arguments. So these are, are the type of arguments like education is a right. We don't, we don't make you pay for rights. Uh, or you know, a college degree is so much more necessary today, so pe- people shouldn't have to uh, uh, pay for it. Uh, the The second bucket is distributional. Uh, so this is just your classic transfer from people who have to people who don't. Uh, third is quality of life. These are, these are really hard to measure, but probably pretty important. So things like uh, higher home ownership rates, higher marriage rates, which could have knock-on effects on the strength of communities and birth rates. Uh, and then last is is kind of economic ar- arguments that basically argue that uh, forgiveness w- would basically stimulate the economy. So those are those are the four big buckets of, of arguments that I've seen that that at least have sufficient plausibility uh, uh, to to support loan forgiveness. Well, so let, let's begin then with uh, the, the, some of these moral arg- you know, this category of moral arguments as to uh, why you know perhaps some. Uh, debts should be forgiven. And so, but I think there are, as, as you point out, there are a lot of really strong, in fact, even stronger moral arguments going back against this as, as opposed to in, uh, in favor of. So if you can, tell us some of the uh, I guess moral arguments against against forgiving these loans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the biggest one for me as, as an economist is is that these, these uh, loan forgiveness proposals are very, very regressive. Um, so we, when we think about public policy, we generally think it's, it's really bad when the government uses its power to transfer money, wealth, power, whatever, to, to the well-connected, the rich, the powerful. 
um, like that the, the the government to the extent it's engaging in distributional activities at all should be doing the opposite. It should be providing a safety net for 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 those who uh, um, who have kind of fallen off the uh, the 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 wagon. Uh, so so uh, but student loan forgiveness. What what it would do it is it would basically send a lot of money to essentially really well or soon to be rich uh, uh, student, former student loan borrowers. So if you look at who has the most debt. It tends to be graduate students because it, it, in graduate school you can basically borrow without limit, whereas at the undergraduate level we cap how much you how much you can borrow. Um, at the graduate level, there's there's no real cap, um, and so you can you can easily accumulate you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in in student loan debt if you're going to law school, medical school, stuff like that. Uh, and so when you look at who has the most debt, it tends to be dentists, doctors, lawyers. Um, and so we're going to forgive, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for these categories of people. But if you think about it, those tend to be very well compensated professions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so the fact that that we'd be using, you know, taxpayer money from people who are making minimum wage to give dentists, doctors, and lawyers a huge windfall, uh, just just it, it, it violates my sense of morality, um, and and I don't think that's an appropriate use of uh, of government. But the other big category of more arguments against student loan forgiveness is that you're basically changing the rules midstream, right? So like you you've got a whole bunch of people uh, who either made decisions about what college they they either went to in the past or they're going to now based on what they could afford, what they were comfortable borrowing. Uh, and, and, you know, they worked not at nights, they worked, their parents worked double shifts. Uh, and so you've got all these decisions that were made, people sacrificing for sometimes decades so that their kids can go to, go to college without having debt. Um, and then all of a sudden, after the fact, you're going to say, oh, you know, those other people who didn't sacrifice at all, uh, we're, we're going to make them just as, as well off as, 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 as you, and you're going to pay for it then too even though you paid for, for, for your kids already. Uh, so, so the, like, there's just a huge amount of, of unfairness in changing those rules after the fact to me. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, and, and if you want to think of it, if, if people were, if anything, responsible and like didn't borrow more than they needed or, or went to a, a relatively inexpensive in-state school, uh, maybe we would start at a community college to, to keep their, their bills low. If they weren't spending expe- excessively, if they weren't profligate in, in their spending, then in effect they're they're going to end up being punished. And so, I mean, it, at some level, I, I think any policy that's going to punish those who are being responsible and reward those who are maybe less responsible uh, is already unfair and like and not necessarily wise policy. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. No, you mentioned. Uh, that much of the debt is, is uh, much of the, the large amounts of, of student loan debt are held by uh, people who have pursued graduate degrees. But even if you simply look at college, uh, uh, people who graduate from college, and this is well established in, in the uh, in income statistics, people who graduate from college end up doing much better on average economically than those who maybe only have a high school d- degree. So it's already the case that I mean, if you want to think about the who's benefiting, who's being uh, taxed here, at some level, those who end up going to college and graduating are, are going to be not necessarily an economic elite, but certainly better off on average. I think I've seen an estimate that the, the 
college salary differential amounts to something like a million dollars over a, a lifetime. And, and that gets back to the whole question of you know, whether college should be free, because college isn't free. I, I'm a professor, so like my salary has to be paid for. We need to have buildings and, and technology and so forth. So it costs real resources to uh, run college. And so at one level, you can simply ask a question, who should be paying for these costs of college? College isn't free, even if you aren't going to charge somebody who goes to college for it. And, and uh, you know, I, I think one of the nice things about student loans is that even if you can't pay for it out of pocket when you go to school, you end up paying for it. You take out loans, you, you, and when you pay those loans back, you're, 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 the people who are benefiting are also, uh, in effect, paying for this, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the, the best um, kind of ways to think about this, I think, uh, is that student loans are not about the price of college at all. All they are is about liquidity. Uh, so it's basically providing liquidity to students who would, who basically don't have enough income or assets to, 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 to afford college. Um, when you talk about the price of college, then it's, okay, who's going to pay? Is it going to be the student, families, parent, uh, government? private philanthropy, you know, that that is where all the pricing conversation should take place uh, is, is, is in that. The student loans really shouldn't be used as, as a way to try and influence the price of college because they aren't, uh, they aren't appropriate to, to either raise money for the government or to, or to uh, subsidize college. Uh, because remember, like if we decide as a society that we want to subsidize college, and we, we do, uh, through things like Pell Grants and stuff like that. Uh, but student loans are not the way to do that because only a small sliver of students actually take out student loans. So right now, I think around 39% of, of undergraduates take out uh, student loans. So if we decide that, that we want the government to subsidize, you're only going to subsidize those 39%. So like, essentially, you, we really need to start thinking about student loans basically as just solving a liquidity problem if we want to talk about a pricing problem, things like pre-college or what the breakdown should be between student responsibility, state responsibility, that's all about pricing, and that's and that's a completely different issue in my book. No, you, you used a term, and I want to ex expand on this uh, a little bit for our viewers. And then you, you talk about this uh, policy possibly being regressive, and you explained a little bit. But it, it, when we talk about re regressivity, that's with regard to the income distribution, and I think there's been a number of different studies, not you know by like folks at the American Enterprise Institute and also like the Urban Institute, that that really do document that uh, when you look across the income distribution, it is uh, you know, people who are from families that are higher up in the distrib income distribution have more student debt, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and so this, this is exactly what you see in, in these studies that, that are looking at this, is that um, I, I, I cite one, one of these uh, studies in, in the paper where they found the top 10% of the income distribution in the country would receive, I think, as much as the bottom three, 30% combined. Mm -hmm. So you take the 30% of poorest people in, in, the, in the country um, they would basically be getting the same amount of benefit from loan forgiveness as the richest 10%, which is just insane, right? Like, like, like the richest 10% shouldn't be getting anything. Uh, they're like, they don't need it. They're already the richest 10%. Uh, and the fact that they'd actually be getting more, 
and and three times more on a per capita basis than the than the the the, the poorest thirty percent is just just kind of crazy. And another thing you mentioned is that uh, some people make the point that some individuals uh, are really being crushed by their student loan debt. But we have programs already in place that can uh, deal with uh, with individuals who have uh, a, a really large loan debt relative to their income. So tell us a little bit about these programs, because in some sense, people are talking about a problem that's already been solved. And I think that's yes, important. Yes, this is, this is what's so strange about this whole conversation to me is that we, we've got this solution and it's not a hundred percent solution, but it's like a 93% solution that's already up and running, already exists. And people are just completely ignoring it and pretending like we've got uh, a completely unaddressed problem. Um, and so, so essentially if you go back, you know, 30 years ago, uh, you took out a student loan and it was structured much like a, like a mortgage, like you borrow $10,000, you're going to repay $250 a month for the next 10 years. Um, that's not a great formula for, for students who are just starting out their career, right? Like early career, it might take you a while to find a job. The first job you find might not be a great fit. So, so there might be some times where you can't actually afford the $250, even though if we think of about your, 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 your lifetime trajectory of income, you can afford the loan. Uh, so, so what we've done in the past couple of decades is we've created a bunch of what we call income-driven repayment programs. And essentially what these, what these programs do is they move away from that mortgage type system where it's, okay, you have to pay $250 a month, where now it says, okay, you have to pay 10% of your income a month uh, towards, towards your student loan. And so if you're unemployed, uh, your income is zero and you owe zero on your student loan. And so, so what that does is it, it makes the payment variable and it also makes the length of time that you're repaying variable. So instead of just repaying your loan for 10 years, you're now repaying it basically until, until you've made all the, all, all the payments. Um, and so, so these programs are already up and running. About a third of students are already enrolled in these. Um, and so, so there's really not a student loan repayment problem for any student in, in these programs. Uh, and so to me, the, the easiest solution to, to the student loan crisis uh, is basically make these programs the default student loan uh, repayment program. Because right now, we, the, the default program is, is the mortgage type. Uh, but if we made the, one of these income-driven repayment programs, the default program, uh, we, we basically have solved uh, the, the debt repayment uh, crisis. <laughs> Another case where sometimes people make an argument, and I think a reasonably strong argument that maybe uh, loans could be forgiven is, is in the admittedly pretty rare cases where the institution, the, the uh, school that the person is going to was falsifying some of their, their records. They're supposed to, all the schools that participate are supposed to be reporting uh, information to, to the, the government. And you know, occasionally some schools falsify that information. And they're supposed to be showing, you know, is, is uh, you know, do your graduates get jobs and, and some basic things about that. And, and so, you know, when there's been falsification, I mean, I think there's a fairly strong case to be able to say, well, that was fraud. But we already have, again, we already have programs in place and loans get forgiven uh, when, when uh, institutions engage in this misconduct, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and so, so if your institution closes, uh, or or if it's kind of proven in a court of law to engage in fraudulent activity, um, you you can get your 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 debt wiped out. It's not a straightforward or easy process. 
Um, and so, for example, uh, I, I don't know if you've followed the news, but Columbia University just sort of got caught cheating on the US News and World Report rankings. Um, so in theory, students could say, students who had enrolled could say, hey, you know, I enrolled based on US News and World Report saying you're a top school, uh, but you lied. Like, we should actually see those types of cases. Uh, we tend not to. Uh, so, so what we actually tend to see is once a school closes, or once it declares bankruptcy. So those are generally for-profit schools, like a for-profit school will go bankrupt or something like that. At that point, there's nobody to defend uh, if, if you accuse them of fraud, right? Because the school's gone. Uh, and so, so the students basically get uh, kind of like a, almost like a summary judgment. Uh, and, and that's what we've been seeing a lot in the news lately with, uh, uh, it's called borrower defense to repayment. Uh, so, so we've seen a lot, like billions of dollars in student loans that are forgiven for, for these schools that have closed down because uh, you can basically accuse them of fraud and nobody's around to say, no, actually, like we were a legit school at the time. Um, now, some of them probably were fraudulent, uh, but, but right now it's, it's, it's kind of a free for all uh, for any school that's closed. Now, some people, and you mentioned this is one of the categories of, of arguments, some people have argued that uh, student loan forgiveness could, be, could have an economic stimulus effect. Um, now, certainly at this point in time, you know, 2022, uh, if anything, our economy is overheated. So at that point, some of that argument at, at this point in time is pretty irrelevant. But um, you know, talk a little bit about the, the potential for economic stimulus from this, because at one level, although people look, might look and say like, oh, somebody's got $50,000 in, in loans, if you do forgive those loans, it's not gonna have as much of a stimulus impact, especially in like in the next year or so, as you might guess from saying like, oh, they got $50,000 in, in, in loans uh, forgiven. So explain that a little bit for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is, this is kind of one of the favorite arguments uh, uh, for, for economists who support loan forgiveness is that, hey, this would, would stimulate the economy. Um, I, I really don't think there's much, much truth to that. Um, I, I, I don't think it would provide much, if any, stimulus. Uh, and, and like you said, right now we're in a very inflationary environment. Uh, so to the extent that this does provide stimulus, it would basically just increase inflation. Um, and, and, and so the, the kind of the big picture problems with the argument that forgiveness would provide stimulus is that you, you need to finance it somehow, right? So either you're going to raise taxes on somebody else, which means that they're now have less money to spend. So like if, if you give, so, so if you give me $10, but we take it from you, I spend $10 more, you spend $10 less, the economy's not any better off. So, so if we're tax financing it, there's, it's, it's just a wash. Um, if we deficit finance, so if the government just borrows, well, where's it borrowing that money from? Well, it's borrowing that money from somebody who else who would have financed either, you know, a new car or a new house or, or a business that would have built a new factory. So it's, it's taking those, those resources, uh, it's, it's basically bidding those resources away by, by bidding up high, uh, interest rates. Um, and so, so you, you get kind of offsetting effects there. The only time that I could that you could convince me that that forgiveness would be stimulus is if we're in a pretty deep recession where we've got a lot of unemployed people uh, and a lot of unemployed resources around. Because at that point, you can at least plausibly make the argument that uh, there's some sort of positive feedback loop here where, OK, some people are unemployed. We give this 
we, we borrow, the government borrows money, it gives it to, to this set of group of people, they start spending it, that's going to draw some of those unemployed people who then spend. That's at least plausible. Like, like it's by no means proven as, as like, uh, a consensus among economists, but it it is it is like at least a, a, a coherent theory um, uh, for for how you could get uh, a kind of a positive feedback loop with stimulus. But like you like we said, right now we're not in a recession. We've got terrible inflation, like the worst inflation we've had in my lifetime. Uh, and 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 so anything any any stimulus that the that loan forgiveness would provide would basically just show up as more inflation and the fed would have to uh, uh, move to contractionary monetary policy even more than it is right now to offset that that inflationary impact so so to me there's really really no economic reason to 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 push for for this and even if you're thinking about government borrowing or or anything a, a number of uh, left-leaning or liberal economists have pointed out that you know when you're talking about $100 billion or maybe $500 billion in loan forgiveness, that's money that the federal government could actually spend on other programs. And, and again, if you wanted to help the low-income families in, in, in America, I mean, many people have pointed out that there are you know, probably a dozen different uh, ways, even if you're, you know, want to think of this as federal spending, uh, to forgive the loans, that there are other things we could do with the money that they think would be better uh, options, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this goes back to the regressive nature. Like, if if we want to transfer money from the from the haves to the have-nots, you don't do it through student loan forgiveness. <laughs> like, that, like that's just a silly way to 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 do that. Uh, we can easily identify the people. We we could double. Uh, you know the earned income tax credit. Uh, you know we could we could do all sorts of things that would actually target these resources to 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 uh, uh, folks who who have a much greater claim to needing the money than you know doctors, lawyers, and dentists who have a lot of student loan debt. I mean, you could even like you know double or triple the the size of the Pell Grant program, which would yeah particularly yeah. help uh, low income. Uh, students trying to, to go to college because then they, you know Pell grants they don't have to uh, repay. So you know there, there's a lot of other things. That, uh, another econo I guess economists always talk about opportunity costs, and so it, it, there's yeah. a good good point yeah. to bring that in and say whenever we spend money one, on one, um, we, we well, spend so so one of the one of the quotes in the paper uh, talks about how if we did all student loan forgiveness, so all 1.6 trillion. That would actually be more than we've spent on welfare programs since 1980. Um, and it was like, that just blows your mind where you're like, you know, I, I've got my issues with the welfare programs, but at least they're trying to target the money to, to people who don't have it, right? Uh, whereas student loan forgiveness just doesn't do that at all. And it would, would spend even more money than that. Like, th th it's just crazy. And again, you know, the, as you mentioned, there are th things that could be done to target loan forgiveness. You could even, uh, make it means tested or, or based on people's incomes uh, uh, and, and then just like forgive the loans for the lowest in income uh, earners. But uh, move, moving beyond that, a number of people, one of the biggest factors in, in college uh, policy over the college economics over the last 40 years has been the, the great increase in, in the real cost of college, even controlling for inflation. College is a lot more expensive now than it was 40 years ago. Would, you know, how would like uh, student loan forgiveness I impact that cost? And, and would it have any chance of, of doing anything to control rising costs in the future? 
And so I think this is actually one of the most damaging impacts of, of student loan forgiveness is that uh, if you do it once, it raises the expectation that it's going to happen again and again and again. Uh, and so how does that change people's and colleges' behavior? Well, if you think about students and families, all of a sudden, nobody's working to pay their way through school anymore. Nobody's spending two years at a community college to save money and then transferring to a quarter college. Everybody's going to the most expensive school they can get into, borrowing as much as possible. Uh, and, and so we, 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 we basically kind of increase the, the amount of demand for student loans. At the same time, how do colleges respond to that? Well, if the colleges are convinced that the students don't need to repay the debt, there's no harm in raising their prices, right? So colleges are going to raise their prices as well. And, and so we're basically going to find ourselves in this exact same situation in a couple of years where we, you know, we forgive, you know, $1.6 trillion of debt today. Within a couple of years, we're going to have $2 trillion of debt because everybody's borrowing as much as possible. College is even more expensive because everybody's convinced that the, the government's just going to do another round of forgiveness. Yeah, and I think you know, reasonable uh, loan forgiveness would take us a good part, good part of the way toward free college. Well, uh, this has been really fascinating. Again, getting into some of these issues about uh, possibly forgiving the, the loans, and so I want to thank you for coming on our show, and I want to thank you, the viewers, for tuning in. Join us again next time for another e conversations. This has been e conversations a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University.